Amen. I want to share something with you about your church. Share something with you that I think all of us need to understand about our Lord. And then we need to see our Lord and then turn it and let it become practice in our lives. We look in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, and I know, folks, that this is probably not the way you would textually approach this text. But I want you to know something. I believe God's gotten hidden truths all over the Scriptures that we need to find from time to time. I'm going to tell you something about you coming tonight, first of all. First verse. And it came to pass that it's the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. He stood by the lake of Gennesaret. That doesn't sound like much. But I want to tell you something. There's a lot to be seen there. Do you want to have a successful service in your church? Let me tell you what's needed. And I shared a little bit of this last night with you. But let me tell you what's needed in order to have a successful service in your church. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. One of the very first things that we need to realize if we're going to have a successful service in our churches is this, that we as the people of God are going to have to come to the house of God eagerly wanting to hear the word of God. If you're not coming to hear the word of God, folks, we're not going to have a successful service. We need to assemble ourselves together in our churches to hear from God. That's what it's all about. Now, if we've come to be entertained, we've missed the boat. If we've come because of the social activities, we've missed the boat. I want you to know when you come to the house of God, you've come to hear the word of God, and you ought to come to eagerly hear the word of God, and that means that your heart is prepared to hear from God. Therefore, it says to me that each of us, as we've come tonight, we should have been in a prayerful attitude driving down to this building to meet. Not to come and hear from Brother Wade, who used to be our previous pastor. Not to come simply because we're having a meeting and it's expected of me to be there. But we ought to come expecting to hear from God. Now, I want you to notice something else. that The other side of this coin that makes a successful service. It came to pass that as the people pressed upon him, eagerly came to hear from him, hear the word of God, him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. The Bible says that the man of God ought to deliver the word of God. Now, let me explain to you what I'm saying. I can stand here and give you all kinds of stories that just bless your little hearts. As Tennessee Ernie would say, bless your little pea-picking heart. I could give you all kinds of stories. And folks, there are preachers filling pulpits all across this land that are telling all kinds of sweet, precious little stories. We don't need stories. We need the Word. We need men of God who will find themselves prostrate on their faces before a holy God to hear from holy God, to get a word from holy God that they might deliver God's holy word. And when they deliver God's holy word to the people... God himself through God the Holy Spirit will see to it that it will produce what needs to be produced. It's not my business to produce the results. It's my business to deliver the word. God will do the other if I let him have it. But may I say also that I must get before God to have what God wants me to have to give to you that the Holy Spirit might bring it to life in you that it might change your life. Therefore, you've got to have a man of God who's committed to preaching the word. 
And you've got to have a people of God who are committed to come to eagerly hear that they might know how to live for Jesus. That's going to produce a successful service. And if we don't have both of those folks, we're not going to have what God intended for us to have. So we need to really meditate on that truth and do our part. Amen. Now I want to show you something about the Lord's ministry as I see it from the scripture here. Now the Lord himself was there being pressed upon because the people wanted to hear the word of God. He was standing by a lake. The Bible teaches us that there were a multitude of people there. As you start to look back as to what's been going on, what's been happening, and what's going to happen in the future, you'll find out that there were a multitude of people that had come to hear from Jesus. Now, I don't, I don't know how many of you remember being in the city park in West Helena in our services. You remember that? We unloaded the chairs, took them out of the trucks, went up and sat them up up there, and kids were down on the ball field, and kids were out in the squeaking swings, and, and the birds were chirping in the trees, and the sun was shining abroad, and cars were passing by, and I'm standing there trying to preach. I was wondering if it was getting to the first row of chairs. It sounded like it just died when it came out of my mouth. The Lord was a man that had practical wisdom. Here the Lord stands by a lake and he's got a multitude of people here wanting to hear from him. Now you've got to have some practical wisdom, folks, in order to do what God's called you to do. He was there to glorify the Father. He wanted everybody there to hear him. He looked behind him and the scripture says there was a boat tied up there, I believe it was Simon's boat or one of the fishermen's boats. And he had Simon push that boat out a little ways, and he got in that boat. Now, you fishermen know what I'm about to say. When he pushed him back out into that water, and there was a multitude of people on the lake bank, when he pushed him back out in that water, he had a natural made what? Sound system. You fishermen know that you can go down beside a lake on any given day, and there can be boats across the lake fishing, and they can be talking in a normal tone, and you can hear them all the way on this side of the lake. And you know what that says, fellas? It says, fishermen, you better be careful what you say on the lake. Because hmm? everybody's going to hear you. All right? But let me say, secondly, that if you want them to hear about Jesus, just push out in a boat, and all those fishermen out there can hear it as you talk about Jesus. Because you've got a natural sound system. And Jesus saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now there's the practical wisdom of our Lord. What does that say to you? What does it say to me? Here's what it says to me. Folks, we've got to be practical in the ministry. Now, let me show you something. I've heard, I heard an old saying years ago, sometimes people get so heavenly-minded they're no earthly good. Sometimes we're so earthly-minded we're no heavenly good either, okay? But you can be so heavenly-minded you're no earthly good. And if you're going to try to reach lost people, folks, you're going to have to have some practical wisdom about reaching them. And you're going to have to figure out the best means by which you can reach lost people. 
Now, if you're so super spiritual that everything's got to be spiritual, you're going to miss the boat reaching natural people. There goes the practical wisdom out the window. You're trying to reach natural people, and you are not natural, you're spiritual. You've got to have some practical wisdom. Folks, natural people are not going to flock to spiritual congregations. Spiritual congregations are going to have to go get natural people. I said last night, bring a friend with you. Becky, is that her name? Becky. Becky sang a song a moment ago. My house is full, but my fields are empty. We're too lazy, too selfish, and too impractical to do what Jesus called us to do. Now, folks, God's people have got to wake up and realize that they've got to exercise some practical wisdom. How do you reach lost people? And I'm not talking about superficial, mass evangelism type thing, and you know that. But you've got to figure out how to reach people. I appreciate the testimony a moment ago. God just worked on the old boy and got him to where he could stand in the midst of a bunch of lost and dying people and be a witness and it not bother him. You're going to have to learn how to do that if you're going to be what God set you out here for. So I'm telling you, first of all, learn how to exercise practical wisdom. Now, let me take you a step further because there's some more things that I want you to see along with this, but, but I, I want to give it to you as I go through the line. Now, let's go to verse 4, all right? You see, this is not an evangelistic message. This is more of a teaching type thing, but I want you to see this. I'm still praying, God, let me be evangelistic at least one night, all right? Now, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. You know what Simon said? Simon said, Master, we are professional fishermen. We've been doing this for years, Master. And we've been out there all night, and we can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, there are no fish out here. Right? There are no fish. Let me tell you something, folks. We as Christian people, especially those of us who are still living in the community in which we were born and reared, begin to think we're so wise that there's nobody out there lost that they can reach because they know us and we know them. But I've got news for you. It's not whether they know you or you know them. It is whether or not the gospel is delivered and the Bible says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And when you get on your spiritual eyes, you'll see a whole community out here of lost and dying people bound for an eternal hell. And you've got an evangelist as a pastor. You ought to get you a theme song. Bring them in. Bring them in. And let the evangelist deliver the message. If you can't deliver it, let the evangelist deliver the message. But the evangelist is wasting his time delivering a message to born-again people. That's foolishness. God gave you an evangelist who is filling the role as a pastor. 
If that's the case and that's his special gift and his special calling, then if you're going to yoke yourselves together to be what you're supposed to be, go get the people and bring them in so they can hear him. Fill your house up with the people in this community. Invite them as friends and bring them in. Pray over it. Spend tears over it. Invite them in and the evangelist will deliver the message. Be careful. Now here's what I'm trying to say about our Lord. Our Lord had a penetrating knowledge that Simon didn't have. Notice what he says. Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, nevertheless. Now I want to say to you, Calvary Baptist Church, go out and bring them in. And I would like to hear from you. Brother Wade, we've done it before and it didn't work. Nevertheless, nevertheless, we'll do it again. Now, I'm taking you back to Barton. Barton Baptist Church was 60 or 70 people in Sunday school when I walked through the doors. We wound up with 184 in in service there that Sunday within 14 months before I left. Don't tell me Calvary can't do it because you're the people that did it then. No reason why you can't do it. Do you love your Lord? Well, he's sending you out into the fields. He wants you to go and work in the fields and bring them in. Would you do that? Calvary Baptist Church, would you do it? There's no reason Calvary Baptist Church has to be 70 or 80 or 90 people. Calvary Baptist Church can be seven, eight, or 900 people in Phillips County. But you've got to get to work. And I'll assure you, sitting in the house, the table filled with food, joy and laughter won't save anybody. You've got to get outside the four walls and go get them and bring them in. And please don't tell me that's the pastor's responsibility. That's the church's responsibility to bring them in. Bring them in. Bring them in. Bring them in. Nevertheless, at thy word... I will let down the net at thy word. Now remember, the Lord has a penetrating knowledge that you and I don't have. But may I say something to you? The Lord gave it to us. Here's his word. And it's a penetrating knowledge that we read many times and never see. But I want to tell you something. When we start walking by faith, we'll see it. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. May I tell you what Simon Peter said? Nevertheless, I will trust and obey. Now hear me, folks. God has delivered his word to us. I know that's his word, preacher, but that's distrust. Simon Peter set the example for every layman in the church. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will. I will what? I will trust and obey it. Whatever he says in his word, we are to trust and obey. Now, may I say that you need to get into the word and study the word 
to where God can put within you the penetrating knowledge that is found in his word, that you might be the vessel through which he might operate, that his glory might be seen. Now, I don't know about a lot of you, but I know about one of you. Cecil Gibson can sit down and start studying sometimes, and God gives him a penetrating knowledge. And I'm talking about an epinosis, folks. I'm talking about a full knowledge about a truth. And he gets so excited you can't contain him. And you know when he's been in the presence of God, don't you? You know why? He can't contain it. Just recently, and I don't remember, I guess it was last week. Or maybe it was Monday night, last night when I was here. Hey, brother, let me tell you something. God sudden, God gave me something. Yeah, you got the penetrating knowledge that God wanted him to have. Folks, that's not set aside just for Cecil. That's set aside for every one of us. But we've got to do what Cecil did. What did he do? He got in the Word and began to study the Word and let God open the Word, and he gave him a truth. And when he gave that truth, he couldn't contain it. He had to let it out. When we're doing what God wants us to do, folks, listen. Our Lord had a penetrating knowledge, and the children of God have a penetrating knowledge too because Christ is in us. And as we get in his word, he reveals that truth and that penetrating knowledge comes alive in us and there are some things we can stand on nobody else understands. Let me help you with that in in one little direction. Some of you know Billy McNear, a member at Riverside Baptist. Billy was with Case Tractor Company when I first came to Riverside. And Billy was, was doing fine in his job. One day he walked into the office And his boss, the owner of the case dealership over there, said, we're being shut down. If you remember, International Harvester and Case went together and International Harvester took over and they would choose which implement company was going to stay in business and the other one was to be phased out. The case place was to be phased out in Clarksdale. Billy was one of my deacons. Billy came to me and said, my job is being phased out. Now, because of what God had done in my life and the penetrating knowledge that God had given me, I said, Billy, don't you worry about it. You're God's child. He has a place for you. Now, that's easy for me to say. I wasn't losing my job. He was. But I said that because I knew something about God. Didn't he say, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things be added unto you? Billy had been faithful. And I said, Billy, what are you going to do? And he said, well, I don't know yet. And I said, I'm going to start praying for him. We started praying. We prayed together in the front of the church there that day. We came down on the front pew and just knelt down and started to pray. Started seeking God's will. Billy called me the next day or two, and he said he'd had a couple of companies contact him, want him to be a salesman for him. And he had a choice to go with the International Harvester Company or had a choice to go with the John Deere Company. He said, I don't know which one to take. And I said, I don't either, Billy. Let's pray about it. We got to praying. Nothing ever materialized right away. I believe God was trying to produce faith. Now, I got deeply concerned about Billy, and so one evening in the house, one Saturday evening in the house, I went back into the bedroom, and I knelt down beside the bed and started to pray for Billy for his job, and it's just like the Spirit of God moved in and said, Get up, you don't have to pray. Now, those of you who have been there know what I'm talking about. And I looked up. It was as if someone had just walked in the room with me, and I looked up, And I just began to laugh. 
and just said, well, amen. And I got up and walked back down the hall, went into the kitchen, told my wife, said, you're not going to believe what's just happened in the bedroom. She said, what? I said, God has just impressed me so deeply that we don't have to worry about Billy in a job anymore. It's taken care of. We came to our prayer meeting on Sunday morning. Now, our prayer meeting is not quite like y'all's. So it wasn't quite like y'all's. I know a lot about yours too, but we came to the prayer meeting and it was time for us to pray and I think there were six or eight men there and we lined up across the front pew and I got on the right-hand side and asked them to start praying from the left-hand side and I'd close it when it came to me. They started praying and it was typical dead prayers. I don't mean that in an ugly way. Please understand. You, you know what I'm talking about. You just pray the words. You're going through the prayers and they're just dead. Got deathly silent. Nobody was praying. It stopped. And it hadn't gotten all the way down the line. And I didn't understand. And I sat there and sat there and sat there. And finally I decided, well, maybe I ought to just go ahead and pray and close it. And just about that time after we waited, it seemed like an hour. I know it wasn't. But all of a sudden I heard a deep heaving. Guess who it was? It's Billy. Heaving. And he just cried out, Oh, God! And when he did, it's like the Spirit of God shot through me. And I just started saying amen and started laughing. Waited for the prayer meeting to get over with. That was it. Should have stopped right there. But I finally closed the prayer. I got up and looked over at Billy. Folks, I know something about what it meant when they said Moses' face was aglow when he came down off the mountain. Billy was glowing. There was a glory about his face. There was a peace and a rest in him you wouldn't believe. I walked over to him and I said, Billy, what's happened? He said, Brother Wade, I don't have to worry anymore. I said, Amen. Now look, he hadn't gotten a job yet. Hadn't gotten a job. I said, I can't explain this to you, Billy. But I said, God wouldn't let me pray for you last night in the house. He just said it was settled. I said, and all I can tell you to do is just rest and wait on him. You know what he said? And Billy hadn't grown that much spiritually then. He said, I know it. He really didn't understand. But I said, you will. The next week, he took the job with the John Deere company. Folks, he's been one of the top salesmen with John Deere ever since, making money hand over fist. He told me just few weeks ago that he'd sold two million dollars one week blessed left and right gives the church he knows God he's got a penetrating knowledge about God now he's one of God's children he's been saved since I went to that church nevertheless at thy word I will let down the net at thy word, what does God say to us about reaching this community? At thy word, I'll do whatever. Nevertheless, whatever I think. It makes no difference what I think. Lord, it's what you say. Whatever you say, that's what I want to do. Let me show you something, folks. The vast majority of Baptist Christians that I know today want to be served and do not want to serve. They want to be served, but they do not want to serve. And God himself in his word said, those who are to be the greatest 
are to be what? Servants of all. When a church as a corporate body comes to the place to where they realize they're not coming together to be served, they're coming together that they might serve others. They'll see something they've never seen before. The days, the hours that we spend on these roads climbing off of that bus, I can still see Dortha climbing down and Carolyn and them, I can still see Nancy climbing off the bus and I, I think about it time and time again, what was going on back in those days. Climbing off that bus, knocking on a door, having German Shepherd dogs run us up a carport poles, and Cecil and them laugh at me all the time about that today. When the Hilpert's German Shepherd ran me up the carport pole as we were visiting for the bus ministry that day, and I hung on there till Mrs. Hilpert, I've forgotten her name, Mrs. Hilpert came and locked that dog up to let me down. But you know what I was? I was a servant for Jesus. You know, I had some real close friends sitting on that bus, and I said, if y'all see that dog, now you holler, because I'm going to beat it back to this bus. And you know what they did? They sat there and kept silent till that dog had me up the pole, and they died laughing. As friends. And let me tell you something, folks. You need to be servants, but you be sure you're looking over your shoulder, because those that say they're your friends many times will put you out there and cut the limb off behind you. All right? Yeah, laughing. But I can also laugh because Cecil was going to teach me how to handle a dog one time. And I saw that dog put him over top of that bronco and he jumped back in there. And I said, that's the way to handle dogs, is it? And I can still see his eyes wide up about as wide as I've ever seen them. Look at me and he said, that dog will get you, won't he? Yeah, he sure will. See, I remember those days and those are the happy times when you can sit down and talk about that. What were you doing? You were out there obeying God's word, trying to find the people and bring them in. Amen. Now, let me tell you something, Calvary. That's what you've got to do. You've got to get out there and find the people and bring them in. And let me tell you something. You won't set your preacher on fire, fill the church up with people that he can preach to. I don't care who you are. You get tired of looking at the same old faces all the time when you know they're saved and you don't have anything to do with it. Oh, yes, you may have three, four, five that are lost in this service, but the three, four, five have been lost for years and God hadn't moved on them yet. Let's get some more in here. When they start getting saved, God may get the ones who've been sitting here for three, four, five years, and they'll get saved too. But go get the people and bring them in. Quit being ashamed of Jesus and go serve. And it'll make all the difference in the world in your church if you'll do that. The penetrating knowledge. Nevertheless, if I were it, I will let down the net. I will trust and obey my Lord. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something. There are many times I get a call in the middle of the night Somebody says, Brother Wade, would you come down to the jail just a minute? I need to talk to you. Two o'clock in the morning. Folks, I don't want to go to the jail. Nevertheless, Lord, at your command, I'm going. And after I go and minister and I start back, God fills this bosom with joy that I went. Someone will call in the middle of the night and say, Brother Wade, my son had a wreck tonight. Rolled a car three times. He's at the emergency room in the hospital. Would you come? I'll be there shortly. Slide off the side of the bed and have to sit there for a few minutes to get my bearing, trying to get my eyes open to go. Looking at my wife and say, "Hun, I'm so tired I can hardly make it. I don't feel like going. Nevertheless, at God's will, word, I will go. I go out and meet with that family. When I walk through the door, I see the peace and the relaxedness come in their hearts and the assurance, the pastor's here. And I stand and minister and look at the son that I know has been rebellious. I know he hadn't been right. 
And I walk over to him and just grab his hand and say, Son, are you all right? And when I start to leave and go out the door, God feels up inside here and says, Thank you, servant. Thank you. You want joy in being a Christian? Start serving, and you'll find joy. But preacher, what can I do? You can call some folks and ask them to come. You can go pick up folks and bring them to the house of God where your preacher can preach to them. We need revival, don't we? Now, I want to show you something else about this work. There's his penetrating knowledge. But I want to show you his abundant generosity. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their nets broke. When they had trusted and obeyed what God said to do, God blessed them with an abundant, generous supply of souls. You see that? God knows how to bless. Listen now. He said, nevertheless, at thy word, I will do what you said. I will let down the net, though I don't believe it's going to work at all. I know there are times when it doesn't. I remember in Barton Baptist Church when I decided we were going to have a crusade. You folks remember that? Went with a 50-mile radius. Put flowers everywhere. Had posters like those circus posters made up. Brother Charles's picture, Sonny Rios's picture, Brother Wade's picture, Crusade. Got so excited, I put chairs out in the aisle in Barton Baptist Church. Was so excited, I thought we might need the football stadium to handle all the people that were coming. God knew how to teach me, okay? He knew how to humble me. I went all the way to Clarksdale, Jonestown, Tunica, went all the way up to Forest City, Arkansas, Mariana, went all out to Marvel, went all down into Elaine, putting out posters, putting them in windows everywhere. Crusade at Barton Baptist Church. So excited. There wasn't, there, there wasn't going to be any way we could handle the crowds. First service. The church was about a third full. Chairs in the aisles that weren't needed. You talking about humble, a preacher boy that had gotten proud. God did it. But we had a grand service. So I realized that sometimes what we do is not necessarily right. But you know something? I'd rather do all I knew how and miss than to do nothing and miss. I'd rather do that any day. I'm about to walk into work like that. I imagine I'm going to learn a few things again. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, so much so that their nets broke. And folks, when you start obeying the word of God here and having the penetrating knowledge of reaching this community, you want me to tell you what God's liable to do for you? Give you so many people, you can't see them in this building. Your nets will break. When you realize who you are in Christ and what you're here for, your building will have to bust out because you won't have enough places to seat them. You've got the word. You've got the man of God. You need the people now. Now, what are you going to do to get them? You going to get practical about this thing? Will you trust and obey the word of God? And if you will, if you will God will be abundantly generous to you. He'll send them to you, but he's not going out there and get them, bring them in while you sit here and say, well, now, God, when you're ready, you'll send them in here. Didn't God say, as you're going? He said, now, I saved you to go out there and reach people. 
Now, you go get them and bring them in. You say you can't present the gospel, you got a pastor who can. Bring them in. Get them in here. Use your gas. Use your automobiles. Go by and pick people up and bring them to church. Quit being so selfish with what God has entrusted into your hands and be unselfish and bring folks in. And you'll have to build a bigger building. And I envision that already for you when you get the vision and you'll do it. Now, I want to show you something else about this. When they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and the nets broke. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. Let me give you another real truth. And when you grasp this, you'll be able to handle what God wants to give you. You see, God wants to give this church a lot. But you've got to get in a position where you know how to handle it and where you can handle it. May I tell you what it is? Only in unity is there strength enough to do what God wants you to do. Now, you hear me, folks. You cannot be divided and do what God intends for you to do here at Calvary. You can't do it. Only in unity. You see, if God were to send all of these people in and you weren't together and in unity doctrinally here, and that's the major issue is your doctrine. If you weren't together, if you weren't in unity in doctrine, you'd be weak, you'd be divided, and you'd confuse the people, and they'd leave, and it'd be seven times harder to get them back. Only until you come to the place to where you are in agreement doctrinally. And you're going to have to stand doctrinally. That means work together as a team believing the same things. And God's going to fill your nets. And he wants to fill your nets here. Now, I could say again tonight, it's time to stop, open the altars, and let us all come and repent. Because I sense the heaviness already. That you're not ready to do what God has said in his word. That convicting work's already beginning to work in our hearts. I'm not doing what God said to do. He's my Lord, but I'm selfish. I don't want to do it. Shuck that selfishness and become unselfish. And start reaching out to the people. Brother Wade, you don't know what people are going to say when I, when I come up and ask them to come. Who cares? You're not living for your own benefit before people. You're living for Jesus' sake. Who cares what people say? Folks, I could tell you tales about what people said of me that, that if it were true, you'd want to hang me from the highest tree, but it's not true. I don't care what people say. If I'm right with God, walking with God is best enough, it makes no difference what people say. It matters that I do what God said. It matters that I trust and obey God. Now hear me. When we had that bus ministry at Barton, John Sanders had a smile smeared across his face all the time, laughing and having a ball. I've seen John sadder in the last two years than I've ever seen him in my life. And John, I don't mean to be ugly, but I've seen a sadder countenance on your face than I've seen in, in years. I remember the day when you were just joyful serving Jesus. I remember the day when Tommy Taylor would even smile. He'd come to get on that bus and work. I remember those days. I remember the day when Jim Higo would come just smiling when he could, when he wasn't working. Cecil Gibson, you couldn't stop him smiling. I don't care what's going on. Okay? I remember Jimmy coming down. All he wanted to do was just serve Clyde Murphy, just grinning from ear to ear. Happy. Having a ball. 
We had so much fun in those days, we'd load that bus up and go wherever Brother Charles was preaching, and we'd have a ball traveling just to go hear him preach, support him. Where is that today? Folks, we're backslidden. We're backslidden today. We don't have the unity we've got to have. Well, I don't like the way he parts his hair. Well, who cares how he parts his hair? Is he on the team? If he's on the team, folks, let's go get him, all right? You just remember, you're only going to find strength where you find unity. Now, if you don't believe that, you watch any ball team that's crossed with each other, and you'll find out they'll lose. But you find a team that's together and committed. When I was a young kid in Helena, Arkansas, playing baseball in American Legion baseball, we had 11 guys on our team. We were together. We never even thought about losing. When we'd leave town driving out, I remember many of us were riding Bill Gray's convertible. He's the only one who had any money. <laughs> the rest of us poor as Dick's had been. We'd start out of town riding out. And you know what the first conversation was? Well, I wonder how bad we'll beat these guys. And the record that year was 47 and 7. 47 wins and 7 losses. We went to the state tournament that year, and the scouts at the state tournament, the State American Legion Baseball Tournament, said, Helena, Arkansas had the best all-around American Legion baseball team they had ever seen in the nation. Some girls from Arkansas State University showed up at the hotel where we were staying, and it divided us. We were picked to win the state championship that year, and we lost in the semifinals. You want to know why? Because we lost our vision, and the girls were more attractive to us than was the game the next day. And we didn't know we had an 8 o'clock game, and we did, and some of us came in at 2 o'clock in the morning. And we blew it. Now, let me tell you something, folks. If you'll meditate on that a little bit, you'll learn something. If you let the devil get in you and divide you here, you'll never win. You'll never have the game you're supposed to have here. And I know it's not a game, but you'll never be what God intended for you to be here. You're going to have to put aside petty differences and pull together. Unity, doctrinally, unity in moving out to get the job done. It can be done. But it takes unity in order to do what God wants you to do here. I'm going to tell you something. You can't put the load on a few people in this church to do what God wants you to do. The load's going to have to be shouldered by all of you together, pulling and enjoying one another. And you'll be what God intends for you to be. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. Now you saw the penetrating knowledge, Simon saw the penetrating knowledge of his Lord. Now listen to the next verse. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Folks, when you see the mighty hand of God in your life, it will drop you to your knees in confession and adoration of the one who is King of kings and Lord of lords. When's the last time you've confessed and adored him? Hey, I'm not talking about this superficial mess of showing up here at church and knowing everybody's looking at you, and so you rear back and get the grin on your face and say, Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you go out the door? 
Who are you kidding? Folks, that's the bottom line. But when you see the mighty hand of God in your life, when you see the mighty hand of God in the life of your church as a corporate body, you want to break out the doors and go get some more and bring them in. For what reason? That they might meet Jesus. When you see His majesty, the practical wisdom of our Lord, that's important. The penetrating knowledge of our Lord, folks, He's God. The majesty of our Lord, what's to stop us from being what we're to be? Confession, sin stops us. Oh, God, forgive me. And then just kiss towards Him and praise Him. Don't look around at the devil's crowd that's trying to keep you from doing that. Look to Him and kiss towards Him. What Simon Peter said? Oh, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. How do you know that? The majesty of his God was seen. Do you want this world to see Jesus? Live to the glory of the Lord. Stay in the presence of the Lord and his word. Trust and obey him. And I want you to know his majesty or his glory will shine through you. You remember the first time you met Brother Charles? Do you remember how when you got into his presence, you could sense that he walked with God? I remember the first time I'd heard about Brother Ray, Percy Ray. And I remember walking across the campgrounds, and if I were to see him coming, I'd go around the building to miss him because I knew he was God. Now, you understand what I'm saying. I knew that God was all over him, and he walked with God. It was so powerful, I was scared to get close to him. Do you remember how when Brother Paul Ragland would come? and you just sense the love of God and the power of God on him, and you'd see such a disciplined man that you were just frightened to get close to him or to say anything for fear it would cut you in two, you'd say the wrong thing. That's not limited just to Dr. Percy Ray, Brother Paul Ragland, or Brother Charles Shipman, or anybody else. Folks, that's for every one of us. That's for every one of us. And they'll see the glory of your God through you. If you live like he said live. Well, it's never happened with me. I don't understand it. Well, we got to trust and obey God. And God will put his glory on you. And it'll touch others. You're looking at a man who feels as inadequate in doing what he's doing as any man living. But folks, I have sat down with my wife and shared with her, I am absolutely amazed at what my people at Riverside have seen in me. I don't see it there. The family that was here last night said, we've been in dry places for four weeks. We're sick. Why? Brother Wade, you're not there anymore. It's different. What are they saying? And please don't misunderstand me, folks. I'm not standing here boasting. It's nothing I've done. It's what God is doing through me. It's God. That is for every child of God in their circle of influence. What do the people you come in contact with think about you wherever you go? I want people to see Jesus in me. Now, I fail many times, but I want you to understand something. My heart's desire is for people to see Jesus. 
May I ask you a question? What is your heart's desire? Is it to be accepted by your peers or to reflect Jesus to your peers? What do you want to do? And you don't have to be antagonistic. Not to be ugly. You can be nice. What is it you want? What does Calvary Baptist Church want? Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And now I want to show you something else about our Lord. I want you to see his mission-mindedness. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not. Fear not. When the scripture says fear not, what does it mean? Have faith. Simon, have faith. Simon, trust and obey. Calvary Baptist Church, trust and obey. Don't just lip service it, live it. Prove to this community you have faith. Let them see your faith. Have faith. Simon, fear not. From henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Now where are you folks? Have you forsaken all of your selfish desires and set out to follow Jesus? And do you want to catch fish? Do you want to catch men? Do you want to be fishers of men? Now let me tell you something about being fishers of men. In order to be effective fishers of men, Simon had to do what? Trust and obey. Stay close to Jesus. The tragedy of the day is the devil's whipping us more than we're defeating him. We quit staying close to Jesus. We're drawn away from Jesus and we're ineffective as fishermen. If this church, if, if Calvary Baptist Church is going to be what God intends for it to be, this church must stay close to Jesus. And our Lord was very, very, very mission-minded. And that says that Calvary Baptist Church must be very, very, very mission-minded. What is your mission at home as well as at abroad? What is Calvary Baptist Church's mission in Phillips County? Have you ever thought about it? It's to reach the lost for Jesus. And folks, God's given you the man standing in your pulpit to proclaim the message. But I want you to know the man of God by himself can't do it. He's got to have all these fishermen to go get them and bring them in. Now, do you love your community? Do you love your friends out here? Get on your face before God in prayer and ask him to give you what you need to be the witness to draw them to Jesus. Bring them to the house of God you're going to have to kick your walls out because he's going to be more generous than you ever thought.
he'd give you a crown. And they'll come to saving faith. When we talk about the Lord, we're talking about that practical wisdom that we have to have as a church. We're talking about a penetrating knowledge that we're going to have to have in his word to where we'll trust and obey. We're going to have to see these truths very, very clearly. When we see his abundant generosity, it's going to cause us to bow down and confess and worship him. As he sends them in, you're responsible for them. He's going to send them in by you going and getting them. And this is the direction in which you need to reach, locally and abroad. Now, folks, you've got to be mission-minded to be what God wants you to be. And then you'll be missionaries. What kind of church do you want to be? Do you want to be one to the honor and glory of your Lord? Or do you want to be one to shame and bring reproach? You know how you can do that? You can sit here on your blessed assurance and let this world pass by and go to hell. Just don't obey. Don't trust God. Don't obey God. And you'll be ashamed to him. May God grant us the grace to see the truth. Who we are in Jesus and what we're about is his people called a church. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.